You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, good morning. Let me say how much of a pleasure it is to be with you here this morning. And uh, Andrew, thank you so much for the invitation and for the privilege of uh, sharing your pulpit and sharing something of God's Word with you this morning. Uh, we're going to be focusing on that passage that was read from Colossians. And if you, if you have a Bible, that might help you as well, because we will flick through one or two other passages in Colossians together as well. Uh, let me pray for us as we turn our attention to God's Word. Dear Lord God, we thank you so much that you are a God who has not left us in the dark. You have revealed yourself and your plans for salvation to us. You have made known your ways. You have spoken to us through your word and indeed you speak to us still. Lord, we pray that today as we look at these words, you would speak and we would listen. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds uh, so that we would hear you speak and in so doing that we'd be changed. And we ask it for your name's sake. Amen. Well, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Steve Rockwell. It was lovely to be introduced earlier in the services this morning. If you haven't figured it out yet, I am Australian, yes. I'm an Australian who lives in South Africa and who's preaching in Birmingham, right? So that's kind of a little bit all over the place. And because of that, I'm kind of used to stereotypes. I'm kind of used to people boxing you. I don't know what's the first thing that comes into your mind when you hear that I'm Australian? Is there a word that comes to your mind when you think about Australians? Don't, don't share it. <laughs> Just keep it to yourself. It's probably going to be best for us all. But we do that, don't we? We, we, kind of, we kind of isolate South African. might be a word that comes to your mind, a thought that comes to your mind. We're pretty good at characterising general groups of people, putting them in a, in a little bit of a box and a little bit of a, a, a generalisation about what people are like. So this morning I want to ask a a far more pertinent question than what it's like to be an Australian or a South African or a a Southerner. Um, The question I want to ask is, what characterises you as a a follower of Jesus? Or what should characterise us as followers of Jesus? Or perhaps if I want to put the question another way... um, if I was to read through the New Testament, or, or even let's just say Paul, if I was to read all of Paul's letters, and I was to read him asking that question, what's the one thing that should characterise me as a follower of Jesus? I wonder what you think Paul would say. It would be a good exercise to do, wouldn't it? Uh, to ask that kind of question of the New Testament. And I suspect that if you did that, if you were to read through Paul's letters asking that question, what's the one thing that should characterise me? as a follower of Jesus, you'd quickly come to the conclusion that one wouldn't be enough. (laughs) There's actually three words that Paul uses over and over and over again to describe and to characterise the followers of Jesus. Not one word, but three words. And the three words are these. Faith, hope and love. Faith, hope and love. Faith, hope and love. They're repeated over and over again. They, they form kind of a triad, if you will, of, of virtues and, and, and of characteristics of the followers of Jesus throughout the New Testament. You can see that in lots of different places, but Colossians chapter 1 is a great example of it. We just had it read there. 
uh, have a look at verse uh, 4 there. Uh, Paul says, or verse 3 even, we, we thank God uh, when we pray for you because we've heard about, we've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. We've heard about the love that you have for all the saints and the faith and the love that Paul attributes here to the hope that they have in heaven. Faith, hope and love, you see. This is the way Paul characterises the Colossian believers. Paul's never been to Colossae, uh, we know that. He wasn't a part of planting or establishing this church at all. In fact, we just had it read to us down here in verse 7. Epaphras was the one who brought the gospel to the Colossians and Epaphras is now reporting back to Paul about what's happened in Colossae and as Paul receives this report from Epaphras, he writes to the Christians in Colossae that he's never met and in so doing, he summarises what he's heard about them. He, he, he generalises and he characterises their life as followers of Jesus by these three characteristics, faith, hope and love. But it's not just here at the start of this letter to Colossians that these three ideas, these three characteristics come up. Because Paul doesn't just summarise what he's heard about the Colossians in terms of faith, hope and love. It's actually faith, hope and love that he exhorts, that he encourages, that he even commands the Colossians to pursue one of the things I love about my job, I am on faculty at George Whitfield College. I'm part of the New Testament faculty down in Cape Town, South Africa. And, uh, and, and I have the great joy and great privilege of teaching Greek to the first uh, year undergraduate students. And I love that. I love opening up people's eyes uh, to the truth of God's word. We say you can read the, the Bible in high definition when you read it in the original language. That's the kind of way we want to think about it. And I love doing that. And when I teach my students this, I, I always enjoy teaching them the difference between an indicative verb and an imperative verb. The difference between an indicative and an imperative. Because I think this is actually really important to understand the gospel. An indicative verb tells, describes things just the way they are. Uh, events that have happened, it's a description of what's going on. But an imperative verb is a command to do something. You see, the indicative statement of fact, imperative command. And the reason why I think this is important, I highlight it here this morning, is because I think there's a grammar to the gospel. <laughs> In the gospel, the indicative comes before the imperative. Statements of fact about, well, statements of fact particularly about who God is and what he's done for us in Christ, who Jesus is and what Jesus has achieved on the cross for us, the indicative comes before the imperative, what we should do, how we should respond. You see, you've got to understand who God is and what he's done for you in Jesus before you can do anything in response to it. And in fact, it is actually who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus that enables us to do anything in response to it. Do you see, there's a grammar to the gospel. The indicative comes before the imperative. I think that's important to understand, actually, because in every other religion of the world, it's the opposite, <laughs> The imperative comes before the indicative. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to say your prayers. You've got to go to Mecca. You've got to, you've got to give this. You've got, to, you've got to do, do, do. And then maybe, then maybe you, God will be happy with you. Then maybe you'll reach nirvana. Then maybe whatever it is that the religion's promising. You see, in every other religion of the world, the imperative comes before the indicative. But that's not gospel grammar. In gospel grammar, the indicative, who Christ is and what he's done, comes before the imperative. Now, that's actually um, 
epitomized in Paul's letters and actually the grammar and the way that he structures his letters and Colossians is a great example of that. So just flick with me if you have a Bible there, if you don't just listen, to Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 because here's the indicative for you right at the start of Paul's letter. He wants to lay down who Christ is and what he's done for you. Who's Christ? Well, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He's the one through whom all things were created, by him and for him. He's the one through whom all things hold together. He's the head of the church. He's the image of the invisible God. This is who Christ is. All indicative statements, just statements of fact. This is Christ. And what has he done for us? Well, that's there as well. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile the whole world to himself. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. What great statements of truth. But do you realise they're all just indicative statements? They're statements. We haven't done anything at this stage as we read through Colossians. All we've done is come to understand the magnitude of what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he has done for us, what God has done for us in Christ. Paul doesn't tell the Colossians to do anything until chapter 2, verse 6. It's the very first time he tells the Colossians to do anything in response to understanding who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And the first thing he tells them to do is there in chapter 2, verse 6. When you understand who Jesus is, and you understand what he's done for you, says Paul, then, so then, chapter 2, verse 6, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him and strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflow with thanksgiving. The first thing Paul tells the Colossians to do when they understand the magnitude of who Jesus is and what he's done for them, the first thing he tells them to do is dig their roots down deep into the faith. It's the first thing he tells them to do. It's an agricultural kind of metaphor, right? You, you know the, the saying, uh, people have got a green thumb? You, you know that? You're familiar with that saying? They can make the gardens look beautiful? My wife and I are blessed with brown thumbs. I'm pretty convinced of it. Uh, we have the ability to kill plants. They don't stay alive in our house very long at all. I don't know what it is. I, I just, it just doesn't happen. Some lovely person will give us you know, a little pot plant as a gift to say thanks. And I'll appreciate the gift and I'll be very grateful for it. But I'll look at my wife and we know, we've got this look, right? We know that that plant is dead, all right? In three months' time, I can guarantee it. I have four young boys. Uh, I figure if I got to the end of the day and they're alive, we're doing okay, right? I don't, I don't have time to keep plants alive, right? I don't have green thumb at all. But you don't need to have green thumb to understand the metaphor that Paul's employing here, do you? It's the tree with the deepest roots that's the healthiest tree, isn't it? It's the tree with the deepest roots that bears the most fruit, the best fruit. It's the tree with the deepest roots that withstands the storm and the winds and the, and the, and the beatings when it comes. It's that tree. And Paul's saying, you know what? When it comes to the Christian faith, you be that tree. You be that tree. You dig your roots down deep into the faith so that you will bear fruit, so that you'll stand the test of time. So when the wind and the waves come beating against you, you will stand 
strong. Be that tree, says Paul. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you here today. Most of you are strangers. I'd imagine in a room this big, uh, there are people at all sorts of different stages in their Christian life. But the beauty of what Paul's commanding the Colossians here to do and what Paul's commanding us here to do is that it doesn't matter where you are in your Christian life, you can still be working to dig your roots down deeper into the Christian faith. And perhaps today you're here investigating Christianity or perhaps you've been here for a while and you're not quite sure. Perhaps today is the first time that you've ever heard that Christianity has a grammar to it, that it's actually understanding what God has done for you first in Jesus rather than what you can do for God. Perhaps today would be the day that you, well, as Paul says here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. And what a great day it would be today if today was the day that you did precisely that, received Christ Jesus as Lord, understanding who he is and what he's done for you. Perhaps today is the day that you put down your root for the very first time into the Christian faith. But perhaps you've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. Wherever you are at, what does it look like for you to be digging your roots down deeper into the Christian faith? Uh, You're here. I take it that's a great start, right? Because I know that this is a church. I know, Andrew, I know this is a church that's going to help you dig your roots down deep into the Christian faith. Perhaps you could be more involved here. Uh, Small groups during the week. Uh, Maybe it's involved in taking up a a short course, an online course, uh, enrolling at Beeson Divinity School. I don't know, whatever it is, what does it look like? Perhaps there's some people in this room for whom the call actually into full-time Christian ministry and study for, for service of the gospel. What does it look like for you to be digging your roots down deep into the faith? Because that's the first thing Paul tells the Colossians to do when they've understood who Jesus is and what he's done for them. The second thing he tells them to do is actually there in chapter 3, verse 1. He tells them not to do a few things in the rest of chapter 2. Don't let people deceive you and don't let people um, uh, manipulate you. And He tells them not to do a few things. But the next thing he tells them that they should do is in chapter 3, verse 1, if you've got it there, or if just listen. Since then you've been raised with Christ Jesus. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The second thing Paul tells the Colossians to do, second thing Paul tells us to do, when we've understood who Christ is and what he's done for us, Paul says you set your heart and your mind on things above, right? Paul calls us to hope, to let the eternity, uh, the reality of eternity shape the way that we think. Now, why would we do that? Well, Paul tells us right here in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, Christian brother and sister, you do that because your whole life, past, present, and future is wrapped up in Christ. Did you notice that as it was being read? Since you have been raised with Christ, for you died, all past tense, right? You died and you've been raised, past tense. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God, present tense. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him 
in glory, future tense. Do you see your whole life, past, present and future, is wrapped up in Christ. And so Paul says when you understand that, then you set your hearts and your minds on things above, right? Where Christ is seated. You set your hearts and your minds on eternity. Now, I don't know what it is that occupies your hearts and your minds. I suspect that if your heart and your mind is anything like mine, that it's far too preoccupied with the things of this earth, with the daily struggles of life. What is it that keeps you awake at night? What is it that occupies your heart and your mind the most? Is it the job, the finances, the house? Is it the kids, their future, their studies, the grandkids? Is it moving? Is it staying? Is it the lakeside villa? Is it the next holiday? Is it Alabama's chance to go undefeated throughout the... (laughs) What is it that occupies your heart and your mind? Because Paul's saying to us here that we should set our hearts and our minds on things above. I remember vividly that stage of life, um, you know, kind of late teens, early 20s, when you kind of parents, as parents, they kind of step back a little bit and let you start as a child making your own decisions in life. I remember that for me, it was explicit. Uh, my dad sat me down and he said, son, your mum and I have done our best. It's up to you now, right? You make your, you make your own decisions now. We are stepping back. We won't make a single decision for you anymore. We trust you. We want you to make your own decisions. You make the wrong decision, we'll come down on you like a ton of bricks. But you make your own decisions. I remember it. And I remember at that t- stage of life, you know, it's a, it's a, there's a lot's happening. Where am I going to study? Careers, life, big decisions. And I remember saying to Dad, Dad, I, I, I want to talk to you about this thing, decision in my life. I, I told you, son, you make your own decisions. Yeah, I know, I know, but I want your advice. And so I'd sit down with Dad and I'd go through all the pros and cons and he wouldn't say a thing. He'd just sit and listen. Okay, tell me what you're thinking. All right. And I'd, I'd lay it all out for him and I'd lay it all out for him and I'd go on for ages. And I'd get to the end of it and I'd say, so, so what's your advice, Dad? And then he'd just look at me and he'd say this. He'd say, son, in the light of eternity, it really doesn't matter, does it? Drove me insane, right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, thanks, Dad, great, but I want some advice here, right? I want, I want your input. And I'd say, in the light of eternity... It really doesn't matter, does it? It's all he'd say. And you know what? Looking back, oh, my dad died a long time ago. But, but looking back now, I think I realise that some of the best advice he's ever given me. In the light of eternity, it, it really doesn't matter, does it? So much of the things that occupy our hearts and our minds on a daily basis are things that don't matter for eternity. But Paul's saying here, set your heart and your minds on things that do matter for eternity. Focus on those things. Make them your priorities. Make those the things that keep you awake at night. When you understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you, you, firstly, dig your roots down deep into the faith. Secondly, you set your hearts and your mind on things above. Thirdly, The third thing Paul tells the Colossians to do. Well, again, he tells them not to do things, put to death some of these things and don't do those things. The third thing he tells them to do in his letter, chapter 3, verse 12, any surprises, any guesses for what it might be? Faith, hope. Therefore, 
as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. There's the indicative again. He can't help himself. Let me just remind you who you are. Statement of fact. God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. As that, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The third thing Paul commands the Colossians to do is to put on love. And he helps us understand what that's going to look like. It's not just some amorphous idea of what love is. Love looks like this. It's compassionate, it's kind, it's humble, it's gentle, it bears with one another, it forgives other people. That's what love looks like. And Paul's saying when you understand who Christ is and what he's done for you, when you understand the magnitude of God's love shown to you, the forgiveness that you've received at Christ's hand, and at his death, then you love, says Paul. You love like he loved you. Love. Jesus said it himself, didn't he? The world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, just as I have loved you. And this is Paul's call. I don't know where the rubber hits the road for you when it comes to love. It's Thanksgiving. Did you have a united, loving family reunion or were there tensions? Or was there Uncle Barry who we don't invite to Thanksgiving ever again? <laughs> Not after last year. Is it in the congregation? Is it in the church? Is it in this parish? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if someone walked in off the street into the Advent on a Sunday morning and they spent some time here, they had breakfast this morning together and what a great time that was. And, and they spent time here and they walked away from here saying, that place was odd. Those people were different. They, they actually cared for each other. They loved each other in a way that I don't experience. It, it was different. It was a different environment to, the, to my work environment. It was a different environment to the, to the young mums group. It was a different environment to the county club down the road. Wouldn't it be great if the advent was characterised by that kind of love? Faith, hope and love. One word isn't enough. Paul characterises the life of the Colossians. He summarises the life of the Colossian believers with these three words, faith, hope and love. But then he uses those three words to be the very things he encourages, exhorts, commands them to pursue. When you understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you, then you dig your roots down deep in the faith. You set your hearts and minds on things above. And you love like God's loved you. Let me pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you so much that you've loved us. And we pray that as we understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us, our lives would be characterised by and shaped by faith, hope and love. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.